0: Welcome to the Loans On Demand Podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Long Form Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand Podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand Podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today I'm super excited because we have a special guest. We have Dustin Owen as host of the highly rated loan officer podcast. He's a regional manager at Waterstone Mortgage. I think you're responsible for about a billion dollars in production, which is insane. Thank you for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I definitely appreciate it, Luke. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a little backstory into who you are, what you're about. I mean, I know I had your little bio here, but I wanted to kind of give you the ability to introduce yourself. Tell us a little about kind of like where you are and kind of how you got there, right?
1: Yeah, that bio would be boring if you tried (laughs) to read off the bio. Let's see, like besides the whole, like I'm a son, a husband, a father, a brother, a friend, all of that cool stuff that I am and I'm proud of. I entered the mortgage industry in 2004 I fully understand what it's like to be a rookie loan officer because I once was a rookie loan officer. I know what it's like to starve, to get out there, and bang my head against the wall and skin my knees and not to be able to pay my bills. But I also know what it's like to stick it out and to show persistence and to be consistent because by my second full year in the business, I was able to achieve a milestone of I funded over 100 units for $26 million. Back then, guys and girls, my comp plan, 55 basis points. Wow. So for 55 (laughs) basis points, which anyone who would uh, hear that today would probably vomit in their mouth. I survived 2007 and 2008. In 2008, I joined up with two business partners. All three of us wanted a better way to originate loans, but not one of us could stand on our own two feet. So we had to kind of come together so we could share resources such as a processor and assistant office space. We chose a company to do that with. The company's name was Waterstone Mortgage. 14 years later, we're still here. So I think in our first full year, it would have been 2009, David, Mike, and I funded a whopping $40 million in volume with our recent acquisitions, where we opened up two new branches in the Florida region, which is basically the region that we founded 14 years ago. We're on pace to fund a little over a billion dollars in production of which it is purchase focused. It is realtor builder referred. We are database crazy and we are, well, hell this year will be 90% purchase, 10% refi, but even in a year like 2012 or 2020, we're still 65% purchase, 35% refi. And let's see here, last but not least two years ago, decided that I was going to start a new hobby, a little passion project we called that passion project, the loan officer podcast. I called it the loan officer podcast because quite honestly, at the end of the day, that's who I represent as a professional, even though I haven't quote unquote originated a loan in two or three years, I still look in the mirror and I see an LO and I firmly believe that every person needs a good LO in their back pocket because loan officers are connected because loan officers know people because loan officers are community experts. And quite honestly, for a lot of us, like a lot of us meaning Americans, Westerners, a mortgage loan originator is the closest thing to a financial advisor that we're ever going to get around. Right. So these are the first people that teach us about budgeting, that teach us about qualifying for home loans, about saving for retirement, because most financial advisors don't want to talk to you unless you have at a minimum $100,000 in assets. Most probably want a quarter million dollars in assets. So we started the Loan Officer podcast. We called it that because at the end of the day, that's who I see when I look in the mirror, it's because I think everyone should have a good LO in their back pocket, but ultimately what we're trying to do is teach people everything you should have learned in high school but didn't. Mm -hmm. LOs love what we're doing. I think we just hit like 10K subs on YouTube, which I'm told by my 17-year-old is a big deal. Oh, yeah. The podcast itself is garnishing close to about 65 or 70,000 downloads a month. Wow. Most of those come from audio, so that's Spotify, that's Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, but we definitely have a decent following on YouTube. So if you haven't heard of us, check this out. Because we do get a lot of our best feedback from people who are newer in the industry are also loan originators. But I promise when we lay down an episode, it's typically because we're trying to make content for somebody who already owns a house. They want to own a house. They sell homes for a living or they finance homes for a living. So if you think about just those four categories, we probably encapsulate 75% of the American populace. Sure. And our average audience is somewhere between, I would guess, 18 to 49. We definitely speak to a younger audience, just with the way that myself and my co-host, John Coleman, our voice inflections, our vocabulary, where we grew up, how we grew up, it tends to lean a little bit younger, which is kind of our thing, kind of what we're looking to do.
0: Sure. And I like that. I know we talked a little bit about that before, but you know, I know the industry is a, in general is kind of you know, aging out, and so it is important, I think, to train up the younger originators, the millennials, the I don't know what the Gen Z, what is the one after or before X? that? I have no X, idea. I don't know whatever the younger is below the millennials. Like they're coming up, they're coming into age. I mean, you know, I think it's important because you know, with technology, with the new things, which aren't really that new, but you know, in the mortgage industry, some of that it takes a couple years to implement, especially you know, depending on the company. But uh, yeah, I think it is important to have. Those yeah, conversations. When, like,
1: I look at what you're doing. I look at what we're trying to do. And I firmly believe this. We're shaping the future of the mortgage industry, mm-hmm. right? Like it's our turn. It's time for the people that you and I grew up looking up to the Todd Duncans of the world or the Clark Howard's of the world or the Dave Ramsey's of the world. Like it's time for them to say, thank you. I left this industry better than I found it, but it's time for me to go enjoy Retirement, sure. And in order to do so, some fresher, younger needs to step up, and it's our turn to shape the future. If you see here, if you notice, I'm wearing my CMB pin. Look at that. Not many people know what a CMB is. To me, this is the capstone of my career. It's the okay, I've made it because it's the highest designation one can achieve in the mortgage banking industry. Mm -hmm. But I don't want my CMB to be my legacy. I want all the people that we are able to shape and to bring value to, to be the legacy, because that's what's going to be able to pay dividends for decades to come.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. That's fun. That's exciting. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, if you are one in the younger demographic that's getting into this, there's a lot of opportunity out there, you know, because as we said, like, there's a lot of people that are aging out. I mean, you think about like the average age, I think in both real estate and mortgage is about 55. So you got to think in the next 10 years, a lot of those people are going to be phasing out. And so how many opportunities are there going to be here in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years to find a space and to dominate this industry? So I think it's huge. Before we get into dominating the industry, though, you talked a little bit about the struggle early on. Talk a little bit about how you kind of got through that first sort of couple of years that it took, you know, obviously in your Second year, you did really well, but I'm sure it wasn't always like that. So I always like to start there because, you know, for anybody who's just getting started or anybody who, you know, maybe isn't seeing the success they want to yet, you know, it's always kind of good to hear that other people also have those struggles. So talk a little bit about that before we get to the empire that you've built. Yeah, it's
1: become persistently consistent. Like I coach this and teach this, wake up every single morning, put on your uniform and go to work. And when you go to work, actually work whether it's six hours you're putting in or nine hours you're putting in, make sure you're working and you have to go able to ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now going to make the phone ring? Right. And if the answer is no. Stop what you're doing and go focus on something that's going to make the phone ring. Once you prioritize making the phone ring, by making the phone ring, I mean you're generating leads. That is our job. That is our, right. our sole purpose. And the reason why we entered this industry that we are in, and this, by the way, applies to, life insurance sales and property casualty insurance and real estate, whether it's commercial or it's residential. Our number one job is to lead generate because he or she that controls the lead controls the purse strings, right? Right. You control the money. So early on, I just had to be able to put my blinders on. I had to put my head down and I just had to focus on putting one foot in front of the other and doing what I needed to do. So for me, it was the 12 week challenge. Like back in the day, I couldn't afford a Todd Duncan event, Sure, but I had a co-worker who had a brother-in-law who was a top producer. And that brother-in-law got to fly out to Palm Desert and go to a Todd Duncan event. And it was that brother-in-law who came back and told my co-worker, who then told me about this 12-week challenge, mm-hmm. which was essentially, hey, for the next 12 weeks, every single day, you're going to send 12 letters, make 12 phone calls to schedule one appointment. So that over the next 12 weeks, you're going to go on 60 one-on-one appointments with real estate agents. I was dumb enough to do it. I was like, yeah, I can do that. Sure. It wasn't fun, but I did it. It was a routine that I could get behind and say, I'm not going to not do this. Now in today's day and age, we're not sending letters, right? We're hopping on IG or Facebook. We're connecting with people. We're sending instant messages or DMS. We may be texting as much as we're picking up the phone, but the same principles apply. Sure. It's 12 people a day, every single day to schedule one appointment. And I attribute a lot of my success to that. And I went on all appointments, understanding that it's a numbers game. Right. It literally is a numbers game. So if I went and met with 60 people, that's one a day for 12 weeks, then I understand that half of them weren't worth my time. Sure. They're part-timers. Sure. They don't sell any real estate, right? I didn't know that. There's <laughs> a shotgun approach I took. Right. But I met with 30 that do sell enough real estate. Now of those 30 that do, 15 of them didn't like me or I didn't like them. We just didn't jive, right. didn't hit it off. All right, I was cool with that because I listened when my mentor told me, hey, look, it's a numbers game. Sales is a numbers game. That left me with 15. I knew that those 15 contacts were going to be good for roughly 120 leads. And I knew that I could convert those 120 leads into roughly my first 30 closings. Sure. And then those 30 closings were gonna allow me to work on Current client referrals allowed me to cross sell the listing agent, as well as continue to impress the agent that referred me to the business, and maybe even leverage that agent to introduce me to one or two more of their co-workers at whatever brokerage that they are representing at the time. So early on, persistently consistent and understanding I wasn't out there to make friends. I'm a friendly person, sure, and I like to have fun, and I, I would like to believe I'm a good person. But I didn't care if you liked me because I already had a wife. I already have enough friends. I needed business partners. I needed referral relationships. Mm -hmm. So if you told me no, you told me to go pound sand, I never took it personal.
0: Sure. That's awesome. You know, it's the curse of the two to three loans a month producers is that, you know, they're always so busy doing all these things. And I think that the problem becomes is that they're spending time during the golden hours. Instead of doing revenue generating activities, they are processing loans, they're chasing conditions, they're talking to their borrowers. And it's like, okay, I get it. Like, You want to make sure that these loans close. But at the end of the day, like, if you're not filling up your pipeline with future people that you can talk to and people that are going to close in the future, then you're consistently going to stay in those numbers. And you talked about this 12-week challenge, right? I don't know if you're familiar with the book, Fanatical Prospecting, but Jeb Blount in that book, he talks about the 30-day rule. And he says, the actions that you take over the next 30 days are going to have repercussions over the next 90 to 120 days, right? So the actions that you're taking usually have a lag effect of about 90 to 120 days. Right. And so yeah, I'm not
1: sure with the book by 1000% agree with that.
0: Yeah. And it's like, okay, so you make these actions of these 30 days, or maybe you don't do the action. So maybe you got super busy and you have four loans that you're putting in. And so great. You're calling for conditions. You're doing all this stuff. You're processing the loan, whatever you're doing to make sure that everything's going well. And then instead of prospecting during that month, you stop prospecting. And all of a sudden, three months later, you have a goose egg, right? Or you have one loan that closes. You're like, man, what happened? And typically what that comes down to is like what you said. Consistently persistent or persistently consistent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Consistently be persistent or persistently become consistent. Either way. Right. It's persistence and consistency. I think also when you talked about the two to three unit person, I think they don't think big enough. Sure. Like, I think there's a lot of times whether it's a self-limiting belief, whether it's they haven't been around enough people who have been able to show them that things are possible Mm -hmm. or the inability to get out of their own way. Sure. It starts with a belief system and especially in today's day and age, and heck where you are in California, I mean, to do two to three loans, you may make 10 or 15 grand. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it's like, oh, well, that's good money. I'm like, yeah, but it's not great money. Right. And oh, by the way, it's not guaranteed forever money. You guys and girls aren't heart surgeons. You're not oncologists. Like if I was a heart surgeon, I know I'm making 900 grand a year, almost every year, unless I royally F something up. Right. If I'm a loan officer, and I made a buck 80 last year, or 240 next year. I don't know when a robot Is going to take over my job i know they're coming after my job sure and i'm confident that i'm so good they'll never force me out but i do know that tech is wanting to right so i feel like i owe it to myself to figure out what do i need to be doing so i can close a hundred units so that i can save like nobody so that i am in a position whether it's three years five years or 15 years down the road i took full advantage of every opportunity that was handed to me, and I wasn't just complacent, because that's the curse of the mortgage industry, in my opinion. It's very easy to make 100 grand. A lot of people think 100 grand is still a lot of money, which it is, right? especially in many communities, but it's not life-changing money. Right. You're not gonna alter the trajectory of your family, your kids or your kids' kids on 100 grand a year. sure. But you can on a million dollars a year, and this industry gives you that opportunity, if you're willing to be consistent and persistent, if you're willing to put your blinders on, put your head down, grind it out, and also think big enough.
0: Sure, and I think the other thing you're talking about is like, so doing two to three loans a month is great, right? But if you're doing two to three loans in 2020 and 2021, guess what happens in 2022? Now all of a sudden those two to three loans are one loan a month. Yeah. Because all the volume that you had before is gone, right? So if you're not consistently filling your pipeline with people that are wanting to buy it, you're gonna have to have three times the amount of people in your pipeline this year to close the same amount of loans that you closed last year, just because affordability has gone up, prices have gone up, rates obviously are you know on the sixes or whatever, five, sixes, wherever they're at right now. Competition
1: is fierce. Right,
0: exactly, exactly. And so there's a lot of things that you have to think about there is like, yeah, in the good years, I think it is easy to to pull in money. But then, you know, in years like this, like probably just going to get a little harder and harder and harder this year.
1: These are the best years, though. These are the growth years. Well,
0: that's what I was going to ask.
1: You get to grow as an individual, You also have great growth opportunities because not everyone will survive. And it's okay, right? Like it's okay that not everyone's going to survive. Just like it's okay when a forest fire happens, because forest fires are necessary. That's what rejuvenates a forest. And it's what's best for the forestry as well as all the animals that are part of the forestry. We need this little bit of a purge. So those of us that are able to double down on our efforts, put those blinders on like I talked about, You're going to be able to grow internally as a person, as a professional, but there's also going to be some growth opportunities as people defect. Even those LOs who are onesie twosie, they still have a handful of referral sources. Sure. When those onesie twosie LOs enter a different profession and out of the mortgage profession, there's going to be realtors and builders and financial advisors out there who all of a sudden are orphaned. Sure. It's going to be our job to be able to slide in and replace the person who left.
0: Yeah, I like that. And you've gone through a crash already, right? I mean, you kind of started right before the crash. So you probably had some good years and then hit the crash. I mean, do you see that being similar this time? Or do you see that just a completely different thing? And what are the kind of the lessons that you've learned from that, that you are taking into this sort of downturn? Yeah, so
1: obviously I'm in the camp of there's no such thing as a housing bubble. Right, I agree. There's pockets, maybe resort areas, areas of high concentration of second homes where you could see a correction, you know, maybe. sure. Maybe sure. you see uh, home values come down 10%. But at the end of the day, if you said, well, they went up 40%, they came down 10. Over a three-year period of time, they still increased 30%, right? 40 minus 10 is 30, at least where I come from. So I'm not in that boat. So in terms of like opportunity, I'll almost go because, look, 07, 08, it sucked. There's no part of it was fun. But once we got into 9 and a little bit into 10, by 11, 12, and 13, if you had, I don't know if you bleep people out, but you're going to bleep me out here. If you had your shit together, it was the single best growth opportunity, bar none, that I have seen in my 18-year career. That was 2011, 2012, 2013. I feel that way about 2023. I think for those lenders that have their shit together in 2022, who are surviving, who are making money, who are keeping their head above water, it's not fun. Like I'm going to raise my hand. I'm working 40% harder. I am making 40% less. Right. But I right. had the luxury of my best growth years prior to this year are 11, 12, and 13. And I'm seeing that same pattern. That same pattern is presenting itself that I'm doubling down on my efforts because I know that when I get those big fat paychecks in 23, 24, 25, it's going to be because of the work I put in in 22.
0: Right. Well, they always say, you know, that the biggest opportunities come in situations like this and downturns. And I think the biggest lessons are learned. I mean, you know, coming from someone that started a business and failed miserably a lot of times, I find that the best lessons come out of the hardest times, right? Like the hardest times that you've gone through tend to give you the best growing opportunities. One is just as a person, right? You get to grow and learn how to manage hard situations. But on the other side, like it gives you All right. Well, I'm not going to do that again. You know what I mean? And so, and you learn from your mistakes, you learn from that. And so I think that is what this opportunity is. Yeah. If you keep your head above water, you can, you know, continue to, you know, really, again, you have to double down. You have to continue to talk to more people. There's opportunity out there. And, you know, at some point rates should come back down and there's going to be another little, you know, mini refi boom there. I don't know if it's going to be quite as nice as that 21, but. And look, and if they don't. Right. Okay. Like I remember entering this industry
1: and my father-in-law didn't say it to me, but he said it to someone who then it got back to me. Oh, I don't think Dustin should be getting into the mortgage industry. He missed the refi boom. I'm like, oh, well, if he would have a conversation with me, I could let him know the little bit of research I've done. I'm getting into the mortgage business because people buy homes where the rates are three percent or thirteen percent. Right. And I'm not going into it to chase the refi boom because there's a refi boom, oh one, oh two, oh three. Sure. Obviously he's my father-in-law. I love him dearly. And he's looking out for his oldest daughter, the lady I married, but he was looking out for his daughter and I'm like, I got this, you know, like I got this. And when I look at what we have available to us, I look at rates being six and a half percent or 6%, wherever they are. I stopped and remember, well, I got into this knowing I'm going to have a job and a career and a successful one at that, whether rates are three or 13. So I did a little research and I looked at, well, rates were terrible in the eighties, right? That's when we hear about the 18% interest rates. What was home ownership like? Well, it was 65% home ownership. Okay, what's home ownership currently? It's about 64, 65% home ownership. So I just had to be reminded even today that whether rates are 18 or whether rates are three, home ownership is probably gonna stick somewhere in that 63 to 66% range meaning 63 to 66% of the American populace owns a home, I think I'm good, even if rates don't come back down. Now, if rates do come back down, Luke, hey, I would love an opportunity to make a bunch of extra cash to afford a down payment on my forever home. Sure. And I would love a little mini refi boom, but if they don't, I'm in that camp, by the way. I'm in that boat that I follow Barry Habib religiously, and I believe rates will be coming down summer, if not fall of 2023, I think we'll see him back down in the four and a quarter range. And I think for those of us that stuck it out in 22 and 23, we're going to get a little mini refi boom.
0: Love it. I love that. I think that's huge. Now you manage a massive region. I'm sure, you know, some of the talk, you know, people are a little bit scared right now. Right. And so obviously I love everything you're talking about right now. Like, how do you, you know, keep maybe the newer loan officers or people that are on your team? How are you keeping them motivated? And are you doing anything specific to kind of get them out there? What's what's that look like then?
1: Exhaustive effort. A lot of this, like what you and I are doing, these pep talks, Mm -hmm. we do these pep talks. I talk about my business partners and we have a fantastic management team, right? So there's branch managers and many of the 11 locations, but we offer loan officer coaching. So if you're a loan officer who works for our organization under our umbrella, you're part of bi-weekly coaching. I host a scripting, I guess you call it a Zoom anymore, but scripting training. Sure. Every other Monday, coachings every other Thursday. We have one monthly all-hands call. We have two annual sales rallies. Like Our messaging has to stay consistent and it has to stay positive. But at the same time, we can't have the blinders on in a negative way, meaning we don't know what's going on in our peripheral. Right. So we acknowledge what the market is like. We then talk about all of the opportunities. And then collectively, we address how we're going to go hit the streets and bring value to our realtor partners. And that value changes every single year based on what their needs are. Right. right? If right. it was just six months ago, our realtors were having a difficult time getting offers accepted. Sure. So we had to roll out a program and a product that allowed us to have, we call it the platinum pre-approval. Other people call it something different. Maybe the golden ticket, Willy Wonka. I don't know, <laughs> but it was our way of basically fully approving a TBD file. Sure. Right. Like you're fully approved through underwriting. The only thing I need is title work and appraisal and I'll get you closed in two weeks. So we are using platinum pre-approvals to get their offers accepted or we are partnering with companies like ribbon sure. in the markets that ribbon operates and wrapping our offers with a ribbon offer. Right. If that's what it was going to take. Now you fast forward six months; it's a totally different story. Sure. Now we're out there bringing to the market. We are very fortunate. Our company is owned by a bank. The bank has access to some pretty cool products, and we have this product that this product sat on the shelf for seven years. We never sold it. It never made sense to sell it, but it's a hundred percent financing product, and it's a seven one arm, and it's a twenty year AM. So most buyers don't want a twenty year AM if they're also interested in hundred percent financing. Sure. But because it's a portfolio product. The rates five and not six sure well a five percent rate on a 20-year am versus a six percent rate on a 30-year and the 30-year has monthly mortgage insurance where the 20-year has the mi financed in all of a sudden the payment's the same but the buyer's paying down way more principal because it's a 20-year am and not a right, 30-year right. am and it's no money out of pocket so we drug that product off the shelf and now we're hitting the real estate community with hey we have a way to get your buyers off the fence. Right. Or maybe we're teaching about two, one buy downs because they have a seller in a listing, a listing and a seller who's freaking out because, Oh my gosh, it's been two weeks right. and we don't have the home sold yet. And for whatever reason, the seller won't listen to logic and reason, which is it should take about six to eight weeks to sell your house. Right. Cool. In a normal Let's market. not drop the sales price. Let's maybe offer a 7,000 or $10,000 closing cost credit. Let's use that credit to do one of two things. We'll either pay for a 2-1 buy-down or we'll buy out the monthly mortgage insurance. Both of those benefit the buyer, and it'll hopefully entice the buyer to buy your home and not your neighbor's home. Right. So we're doing those types of things, and that's the messaging that we take to our loan officers It's kind of our way of leading from the trenches and saying, hey, look, let's take advantage of kind of what the defense has given us. Sure. And our job is always the same. Our job is to help realtors sell more homes, period. That's it. So every day when we wake up, the question we should ask ourselves as loan officers, what do I need to do today to help a realtor or a builder sell another house?
0: That's awesome. And it's funny that you talk about all this stuff, because I remember the first time that I saw Barry Habib speak, he blew my mind because like he talked about like concepts like this, right? Being more than just an order taker, more than just like, hey, you go into a 30 year fixed, you know? And so I like this concept, right? I mean, 7-1 arm you said a seven arm. I, yeah, yeah, no, it is.
1: It's a seven, one arm, hundred percent financing.
0: It's fixed for seven years, correct? Fixed right. for
1: seven years. Yep.
0: Right. And the thing you got to think about is like, okay, well how many people are actually staying in their home for seven years? One, two, what about the fact that like, you know, the rates should come down? Obviously we can't rely on that, but you know, we're going to assume that they could come down and you can refinance into a 30 year fix if you want or a 20 year fix. Right? Correct. So.
1: Yep. Yep. And, and that's the advice I give to all originators, especially the younger ones, like follow the patterns. And this is a James Clearism, actually. James Clear wrote Atomic Habits, which is, I think, a book everyone should read, right. not once, but like three times. And he has this quote where it's like, follow the patterns. Everyone has a story, sure. right? And Malcolm Gladwell would call that story an outlier. But like, where are the patterns? And the patterns will say those that are at the peak of this industry, they follow the Barry Habibs. And if not Barry, then follow Dan Rowich, right. right? Or if not Dan Rowich, then follow what's going on over at MBS Authority. Sure. And they buy into Dave Savage in Mortgage Coach. And they know who Todd Duncan is. and Because you can learn a lot from these folks, just like they can learn a lot from tuning into your show, I'm sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's huge, right? I think the uh, – I mean, you talked about a couple books. I mean, Readers Are Leaders – you know, people that are successful are constantly learning. And I think sometimes there's this ego. And it's funny, I saw a top producer down here in San Diego, a real estate agent guy that I'm actually friends with on Facebook for some reason. I can't remember why. But anyway, he posted the other day that they do trainings, I think weekly or monthly or something like that. And he said, the interesting thing about these trainings is like, the top producers are the ones that show up consistently every single time. And the people that aren't that should be at these trainings are not showing up, right? So it's like, it's clear, it shows you that The people that are most successful, the people that are doing the most volume are constantly looking for ways that they can improve. And that's why they're at where they're at, right? I mean, you know, you don't ever stop learning and you can always level up and learn new things. Correct. And I think so many times people forget, I mean, we think about it, the average person, you know, they finish high school or college or whatever their highest level of education is, and they stop learning. They completely stop learning. It's just, all right, cool. Like, I learned for 20 years or 18 years or 24 years, however much time you went to school, and then you just stop learning. And, you know, what isn't used, I mean, you think about like, if you're not going to the gym, your muscles dwindle, right? And same thing with your brain. So it's a huge, powerful concept to continue to, to get better. If
1: you're not growing, you're dying, period. And that's business and that's life. If you're not growing, so what are you doing today to grow, whether it's internally or externally? And those are just facts. Yep. Really, another fact is we're all dying.
0: Right. Right. right? I mean,
1: <laughs> I use that a lot because we have one life to live. Sure. Like we have one life to live, make the most out of it. And it is an adventure, so go have fun with it.
0: Yeah, I love that. Pre-show, we were talking about this cool concept that you were talking about with some of the, you know, maybe older people in the community, That some of the older loan officers, have having a succession plan. I'd love to kind of touch on that briefly okay. as well because I thought that was a pretty cool concept that may or may not be something that people are aware of. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because if there is a glaring hole in our industry And even in people who do what we do, the podcasting, the public speaking, the live events, the coaching, et cetera, I haven't found many that are teaching succession planning. Sure. Right? Like I once had the opportunity to interview for a C-level position at an independent mortgage banker. And I remember sitting with the bank and the board of trustees, and that was a question I had for them going through their executive team. What's so-and-so's succession plan, right? VP of capital markets, the CIO, the chief of marketing. Because if you're going to run a company, you have to understand your executive team, what happens when so and so leaves. Right. Right. So I used that as an example. Then I used a buddy of mine's a dentist, and he and I talk about when he gets to retire and what that looks like and how he's going to sell his practice. And another friend of mine's a financial advisor, and he'll have a book of business, and here's how he's going to buy so and so's book, but then later down the road, sell it. And I was like, gosh, scratching my head to go, we don't really have that in the mortgage industry. Right. So I started putting together a theory on ways that I think that we can and we should have a succession plan. I don't think it's a, oh, I'm just gonna dwindle down my production. I'm gonna quit showing up less. I'm gonna start cherry picking the loans. Like I'm just gonna not show up one day. I think it can be done differently. So I turned 43 years ago and for many years, at least a decade, I worked two full-time jobs. Like my two partners and I ran and grew our region a mortgage operation, our own company, so to speak. And I also was a top producing loan officer. Sure. And I got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just can't. There's way more th- many things in life that I want to do that I can't get to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And quite honestly, doing loans, I was allowing it to make me angry. Sure. So I said, well, I don't want to walk away from it. Yeah. That's a lot of damn money right there. Right. Like just to give it up. So I looked at my loan partner who I've known since middle school and I hired him 11 years ago as my loan officer assistant. And I said, I think I'm ready. He's like, what do you mean? I'm ready to hand it over. And I had this theory that you can hand over your book of business. And if it worked for me at 40, why wouldn't it work for John at 62? Right. Or Nancy at 55. Sure. Right. Because maybe Nancy at 55 understands that she can start withdrawing from her IRA or 401k at 59 and a half. So she doesn't want to exit the industry, but she's kind of worn out. She's kind of getting a little bit tired. Mm -hmm. So my thought is this. Don't walk away, don't pare down. If you don't already have a junior, go out and hire a junior and not a good assistant. You wanna hire actually a bad assistant. You wanna hire someone who reminds you of you 20 years ago or you 30 years ago. Sure. Someone who's gonna be grateful for the opportunity to be your apprentice. And you're gonna spend the next two years training that person to do your job, the way that you've done it, your systems and your processes. And here's one thing I'll promise you, cause I lived it and it's been very successful. Kevin Murphy today is a 40 plus million dollar producer, by the way, my best year ever was 36 million. So Kevin has definitely been able to maintain the production level that I was accustomed to, and I found that I can hold Kevin accountable a lot better than I can hold myself accountable. Sure. So during that transition, I knew there's going to be some referral partners that look, if it wasn't me, they were out, but I also learned there's some referral partners that like him way better than me. And these are referral partners that honestly, I couldn't stand. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'd be fine if they fired me. Sure, But they love Kevin. and He loves them. And then by me being able to coach and hold Kevin accountable to things that I couldn't hold myself accountable, we were able to actually maintain and then level up one level our production. And the way that it looked is the first year he did all the work. I made all the money. The second year he did all the work. I made most of the money. By the third year, he's doing all the work and I'm making 60 percent of the money and then he's doing all the work, I'm making 50% of the money. He's doing all the work, I'm making 40% of the money. But then there's a small amount of that commission, let's call it 45 basis points, I get to keep in perpetuity. So now I have a residual income. As long as I'm around and gainfully employed, now I may have to show up to a meeting or two, I may have to hop on a call. Like there's, I have to bring value, Sure. but I don't have to bring 10 hours a week value, I have to bring 10 hours a month value. Sure. But I'm still going to make 45 basis points on $40 million. What a great succession plan. Right. And if you plan it out appropriately, I think there's many people in our industry who are going to want to get out, but I don't think they need to cut the cord, so to speak. I think there's a way that they can put together a plan like I was able to do.
0: That's awesome, man. Again, we talk about, you know, insurance and financial planners. They typically have that option, right? To book a business to sell your book of business. Yeah. But in the mortgage industry, that just doesn't really happen. So it's cool that you were able to build that. Real quick, so to kind of wrap things up, if you were like a brand new loan officer again, what would you do today to get more business? To get more business. Yeah, or to get business. Dude,
1: I'm old school. I'm as old school as they come. I love what you do with your marketing company, by the way. Like my degree is in advertising and public relations. Awesome. I did not get a degree in finance because I looked at the curriculum and I'm like, I can't do all that math. Um, and I looked at the advertising curriculum. I'm like, hell yeah, that's right up my alley. That's fun. But I would tell anyone and everyone until you're consistently closing four to five loans a month, stay away from social media, TikTok, fancy technology. I think you have to dominate the basics. I agree. I know you're going to call me a boomer and I'm on the wrong side of being a millennial.
0: I don't know about that. But I
1: firmly believe that you have to be able to pick up the phone or pick up the keyboard or pick up your texting service, introduce yourself, get face to face, get belly to belly, become a partner with someone in your community that sells real estate. Mm All right. And I think until you can figure out a way to close four or five loans that way, I think you can get distracted with everything else. I agree. Do you need to have a social media presence? Hell to the, yes, you have to, it's a placeholder. It's a reputation management, right? You have to have it so that when, Alex with Remax refers you and that buyer Googles you, they need to find your Facebook business page. And eventually when you have a past client database, and eventually when you have 100 or 200 realtors in your database, you're going to reach out to someone like Luke and Luke can help you market to those people with targeted ads on Facebook or IG. But I don't fall in the camp of it's your end all be all. Like I know there's guys like Neil DeGraw who are killing it, right? I know that Denise Donahue, the mortgage nerd, she's killing it utilizing social media, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: I promise you they were killing it before social media. Yeah, I agree. They had already built a foundation. So I'm going to tell you to start with the foundations. I'm going to tell you to get out there and get belly to belly, face to face with 100 referral sources, realtors, builders, financial advisors, and you're interviewing them. What can I do to bring value? What does it mean to be a great loan officer? What is it that you're trying to accomplish in your business and how can I help you get there? And then when the phone does ring, you have to become a great advisor. You just do. You have to know something about personal finance. You have to buy into the concepts being taught by Dave Savage over at Mortgage Coach. Mm-hmm. You have to be listening to Barry Habib every single day and trying to digest what it is that he's preaching. Right. You have to read a Dave Ramsey book, even though I'm not a huge Dave fan, I will tell you Dave's a great starting point for many people. Sure. And then you have to be able to give that advice to your clients, understanding that there's no such thing as a one size fits all mortgage. Right every mortgage must be tailor-made to match your borrower's financial needs, wants, and goals. And you probably at some point need to get coached, but first and foremost, 100 belly to belly, start buying into the people who can teach you how to become a great advisor, give great advice based on tailor-making mortgages to match people's financial needs, wants, and goals. And once you've done that may take you three years, may take you five years, you may be able to accomplish it in two years. At that point, if you want to spruce up your game, cool. Let's start talking about creating a YouTube channel. Let's start talking about making TikTok videos. But a TikTok video, in my experience, is not going to bring you leads. It's going to let people recognize you, make people laugh, make people think they know you. So when you call them, they may be more willing to pick up the phone, Mm -hmm. but... I'm not in the camp that all of those things should come first. I agree. I think all of those things are like master's level.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's one of the things that's funny. I actually had a buddy of mine from high school. He came to me because he knew I was, you know, I advertised for the mortgage industry about a year and a half ago. He's like, what should I do? What should I do? I'm like, honestly, like it sucks, but like you should just talk to people, cold call, talk to realtors. Like I was like, I'm a marketer, right? You know, I sell marketing services. I'm like, I just can't justify it. You have to become, you said good at the basics. You have to become a good loan officer before you can do all the other things. You have to understand the product." before you can sell internet leads before you can talk about yeah. mortgages on TikTok and YouTube, because like yeah. you're going to sound like you don't know what you're talking about. If you're reading the script and you don't actually understand how to dig deep into these topics. So I do think it's super important, at least the first year, maybe two, three, you know, depending on how long it takes you to gain that knowledge to do those things. I totally agree. I always
1: have a challenge to uh, younger loan originators and by younger, I always mean younger in your career. Sure. I don't care if you're 65 or if you're 25, but younger in your career, Take a stack of business cards and go to Home Depot or Lowe's, whichever your preference is. You may need several because you may get trespassed, but don't worry about it. No one's gone to jail or prison for a long time for trespassing, right? But take your business cards because people who walk into Home Depot, they either have clients who are homeowners or they themselves are homeowners. And what if you just stood out there and you handed a business card and said, Hi, my name is Luke. I'm a loan officer at XYZ Mortgage Company. I help people obtain great home loans. Let me know how I can help you. If you did that and handed out 100 business cards every single day for a week, I guarantee you, you'll end up talking to at least five people who are interested in a home loan and you may be able to find one or two of those people who actually qualify and are serious. Right. Like the business is that simple. We don't need to overthink it. Now, again, I don't know if you want to go stand outside of Home Depot or Lowe's because you may get trespassed, but it is that simple.
0: Yeah, it just comes down to, I think we talked about it, but the actions that get the results are the things that you got to focus on? I mean, I talk about this all the time, but lagging versus leading indicators, right? What are the things that you can control, which is how many people have you talked to? How many people have you called? How many people have you emailed? How many networking events did you go to? You know, those are the actions you get to control. Now the sales, they come because of those actions that you've taken. And so if you focus on the actions, the results come. If you focus on the results and don't take the actions, nothing's gonna happen, that's called hope marketing. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate you being on. If someone wants to kind of check out some of your podcasts or some of your other things that you have, where can they go find you, connect with you, you know, learn more?
1: Yeah, no, thank you. So the podcast is The Loan Officer Podcast. There's a website, Online, T-L-O-P com, or TheLoanOfficerPodcast.com. We say TLOP because our fans affectionately call us TLOP. It stands for The Loan Officer Podcast. Start at the website, but we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, and we're on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, The Loan Officer Podcast. It's pretty simple. Imagine that. And LinkedIn's a great way. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So feel free to reach out. I make it my business to have friends that do what I do for a living. So any person I haven't met yet is just my next friend. And if you do what I do, you like sales, you like marketing, you're an entrepreneur and you're into mortgage and real estate we'll probably have a lot to talk about.
0: Love it. Awesome. So uh, for everybody, check that out. Uh, It's going to be in the show notes, so you can check that out. You're not going to have to remember that, but yeah, check it out. Click on the link in the show notes. And for everybody who's listening, I think my biggest takeaway from today was really just kind of, it started at the beginning, right? Being consistently persistent or persistently consistent. I can't remember which way you said it, but that concept right there is everything, right? Do the hard things over and over and over again, and you're going to see the results. I think so many times people forget that it's those actions, again, we just talked about it right now, right? The leading versus lagging indicators. What are the things, what are the actions you get to control that allow you to get that growth? So if anybody's just starting out, getting into the industry, struggling right now to find leads, it really comes down to how much time are you spending on a daily basis doing the basics, doing revenue generating activities, right? As salespeople, that's your job, right? 90% of your time really should be spent doing that. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for everybody for listening. Have a great day. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com.
1: This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.